With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever you are in the world. It's very easy for us to coordinate everything from currencies to chat rooms, except for time zones. So that's why we do all these podcasts. Uh, and today is a very interesting one. So we have Acumen Network, and we're here with Javier and Andre. And uh, Stefan, you know, again, where are you at in the world today? Because it's kind of the roaming uh, crypto dude thing going on. I'm in Tijuana, Mexico right now, and I'm super excited about this podcast, actually. You know, any anything in the DeFi space, I generally love, so super excited, and then bridging on top of it, like, it's like the, it's like the awesome combo. Yeah, and, and we've got, you know, some, some, uh, Solana nerds. So, you know me, I'm, I'm super excited for this one as well. Uh, but let's go, let's just jump straight into it. And so, Javier, uh, let, let's start with kind of the background, um, you know, where you came from and, and, you know, also kind of a little bit why you, uh, you stay Anon would be great as well. Yeah, so I'm originally from El Salvador, and uh, I kind of got into the blockchain space through Bitcoin mining. I was running Bitcoin mining facilities uh, around 2014 to 2015, and then I, I sort of uh, made the switch from just purely being focused on Bitcoin to this whole area of decentralized finance, because you can kind of see with crypto that there's a lot of financial applications that you can do through the blockchain. And I started working on a couple of projects on Ethereum. And when I discovered Solana, I, I, I fell in love with it because one of the main focuses of mine is using crypto uh, to power microfinance. And Solana is one of the only blockchains that has transactions uh, speeds and that are cheap and efficient enough to actually allow you to do these microfinance tra uh, transactions and allow them to be profitable. A lot of other blockchains have fees that are way too expensive that make microtransactions not feasible. So I started working on the Solana blockchain and started uh, developing Acumen. And here we are talking about Acumen. Fabulous, fabulous. Uh, Andrea, where, where, uh, you know, where did you come into the picture here? So uh, I came into the picture here like a year ago or a year, a year and a half ago, specifically into crypto. Uh, before that, I had been in the traditional financial world, working in, in, in a bank and in an insurance company before that. Um, so Javier and I know each other because of family. And uh, he, he was already or is an expert in, in all of this. Uh, so we were basically talking about how coincidentally with uh, the government of El Salvador passing the Bitcoin law, how difficult it is for regular people, um, regular companies, and by regular I mean small to medium businesses to get access to the financial system, uh, let alone access, but uh, credit. It's, it's, it's almost impossible for many people to get it. And crypto opens up a completely different universe where they can get the financial support that they need to grow their business. And that's how we sort of merged both worlds and came up with Acumen. 
So coming from from TradFi, and you know, clearly there is so many initiatives and so much money that's being spent to solve the problems that that DeFi is is clearly able to solve. Where where did you see that that TradFi really was falling short? Like where do you feel that there was just a hard, you know, relatively glass ceiling that was never going to get you there? So you can sense it just by walking into a bank. If you are a startup, you are a young person. Say you are a graphic designer, you have a business where you handle people's uh, social media, for an example. You obviously don't have uh, accounting systems. You obviously don't have financial records. You obviously don't have a bunch of the stuff that they ask big companies to have. Uh, And yet, even though they, they know that you don't have it, they ask for it. And since you don't have it, they're like, we're sorry, we can't open your account. And as a provider, if you provide to big companies, then that becomes a huge problem because they're not going to be going out taking cash to pay you specifically. So what happens is they go to the big guy who does have a comp- uh, an account and lets them pay for it. And just like that, is, I could give you tons of examples of ways in which it's rather than an aid it's a barrier to business. Listen, we, we, we completely agree with you here. And, and, and Javier, what was your kind of watershed moments that, that you know, brought you to say, like, I need to go develop my own DeFi protocols? Yep. So, I mean, growing up in, in El Salvador and, and you go to these uh, sort of they have markets where there's a lot of small businesses selling to people. And a lot of these people have great ideas. They have great products. But like Andrea mentioned, the barrier is that they just don't have the, the funds to expand it. And what ends up happening is they have to turn to loan sharks that are charging them 7,000% a year for access to capital. And that ends up paying 20% a day. And frankly, that's not sustainable. And if you give these people a a separate faucet to uh, pay 10% a year, they're going to be able to reinvest a lot more into their businesses. And so when I kind of saw this, I saw that there was this unique market by using crypto liquidity to provide cheaper access to capital to these businesses. So a lot of people in crypto are happy with a stable and uncorrelated yield. And that's essentially what we're trying to do. We're trying to provide people on the crypto side a stable and uncorrelated yield from 7 to 9%, while also lowering the capital costs of these small and medium-sized businesses to actually allow them to grow and develop their businesses. And are these uh, collateralized? Yeah, so it, it depends uh, with which third-party capital deployer we're working with, but for the most part, the loans would be collateralized. Awesome. Well, uh, let's just jump right into it. I, I really want uh, to see it. And, um, you know, again, I, I think for a lot of our, our listeners, and again, there's 30,000 of us around the world that are focused on business, um, you know, please go through and talk through the, the differences between the Ethereum ecosystem and the Solana ecosystem. Um, because there, there's, listen, there's no shortage of ETH fanboys out there. Um, but, you know, I'd love to hear the technical analysis of why you chose to develop uh, over on Solana as well. Yeah, so Ethereum is is a great chain. There's a lot of people building super cool stuff on Ethereum. But frankly, the reason we chose Solana was because of its speed and, and how cheap the transactions were. Um, for regular transactions on Ethereum, interacting with a contract, you're going to have to pay anywhere from $100 to $200 in gas fees. And frankly, for a lot of people, that's just not sustainable. If you're earning 6% interest on $1,000, it makes no sense to pay $200 to withdraw your money. There has to be sort of 
it has to be economically viable for people uh, so that it makes sense. And that's purely why we chose Solana, since we believe a lot of these transactions are going to be microtransactions. It's better off that the fees are 10 cents so that it makes people it makes sense for people to interact with, uh, with our smart contracts. Fabulous. All right, look, let's see the whole elevator pitch. Yeah. So Acumen started as a lending and borrowing protocol similar to Aave. And we were one of the first lending and borrowing protocols live on the Solana blockchain. But like Andrea mentioned, we really saw uh, this problem uh, or a disparity between lack of access to credit. And that's where we came up with our stable dApp. Our stable dApp allows users on the crypto side um, to provide liquidity to small and medium-sized enterprises so that they can have fair access to capital. Users lock up their stable coins for 180 to uh, a year, and they earn a set stable rate. So in order to do this, there's kind of three things that um, the capital deployers have to check a box. The first thing is that the loans that uh, we're deploying the capital in has to be producing more than what we're paying out for uh, the depositors. This ensures that if anything goes wrong with the loans, we can still pay back the interest to the depositors. The second thing is that there's a me- uh, mechanism of over collateralization. And the reason for this is that if... Um, in microfinance, they tend to be riskier than, um, you know, obviously traditional uh, financial, uh, like hedge funds, they tend to be riskier. So over collateralization allows you, so even if the loans do fail, you're still able to pay back the depositors. And the third thing that we're trying to do is to actually bridge all this uh, loan data on chain and aggregate it through oracles. So the people that are depositing in this ecosystem can actually see what is backing um, the loans. Awesome. That's interesting. So instead of going with actual just crypto loans, you build your own stable coin to loan to loan out. So it's not our own stable coin. We're going to be using uh, stable coins like USDC, USDT, um, any stable coin that's that's already um, that's already live on, on the Solana ecosystem. And the reason for this is because there's already a lot of liquidity in these stable coins. And if you look at lending platforms on Solana. The most you're going to be earning on a stable coin on Solend or Port is going to be three to four percent. So there's already a huge market for people that want to earn a stable yield on their stable coins. And that's the market that we're aiming to tap into. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so the difference then is to get the extra yield, you have to lock it up for 12 to 18 months, though, right? So that's the, the big the big difference then? Yeah, that, that is the big difference. And the other key um uh, thing that differentiates us as well is that our yield is uncorrelated. So if you deposit funds into another lending platform and you're earning 3%, that rate is variable. So depending on how the crypto market is performing, the yields are going to decrease. So it's all based on supply and demand. If the market goes down, there's not going to be as much as, uh, of a demand to borrow. So the yields are going to decrease. So giving uncorrelated yield that's not correlated to the crypto market is something that's going to be really big in the future. Future, especially as people say that we're kind of moving into a crypto winter. Interesting. And then do you allow secondary trading? So can I sell my staked tokens? Yeah. So that's in the beginning, we're not going to, to allow that, but we are going to create a secondary market for the tokens because the, the way it's going to work is that there's going to be deposit caps because obviously you there's a certain limit where you can't lend out any more money on the traditional finance side. So in order for that not to happen, we're going to cap each uh, asset pool at a certain amount. And once it fill, once it's filled up, you can actually sell uh, the tokens that you have staked to other people so that they receive the yield. And you would obviously sell it at a premium. 
Interesting. And then how do you find the people who borrow? Like that feels like a huge just business problem in of itself. Yeah. So um, specifically in El Salvador, which is the geographical region we're focusing on first, we've actually partnered with the Small Business Administration of El Salvador. They're called CONAMIPE, which is uh, tailored to the small and micro uh, enterprises in El Salvador. So we're going to be doing the first test case with the Small Business Administration of um, El Salvador. Very cool. Oh, that's, that's super really- cool. Yeah, that's a really good uh, way to kind of, especially for your government that's that's ex- that's now kind of pushing for for cryptocurrencies. Uh, a good way to to engage, you know, some of the other uh, uh, facets of government to to help you bridge that that gap. Yeah, no, we're we're super excited. Sorry, and also to expand a little bit more on how we're actually going to get people to borrow. Uh, one of the advantages that we have is that we can offer the capital to the to the lender at a lower cost. So basically all banks get their funding from a larger bank at a certain rate. And then depending on that rate is the rate that they give to the end consumer. In our case, we are able to give it to them at a lower rate. Thus, the consumer gets a lower rate themselves, which is attractive not only to Conamipe as as Javier mentioned, which is uh, basically we're doing it that way initially also because the people who go to Conamipe are shunned by the traditional sector, not because they are not a good client, but because they don't have a record or, or they're, you know, they don't have any of the financial stuff that, that the others ask for. But they are growing their businesses and here in El Salvador, Small and medium businesses are practically like 90% of the economy. Wow. So the market is huge. And so, sorry, how does it work? So you lend to a bank, which then lends to the end small businesses. So that way you have kind of a distribution channel there. You can have different ways of, of doing it. One of those ways is you give a big loan to an, uh, an entity such as Conamipe who already has experience, who already knows who, who is a good person to lend to, and they then they lend it out to the individual companies or, or, or persons, and then they give it back to, to us. Or you can vote on different projects, and that, that's the beauty of the protocol, is that the, the community decides. Yeah, let's let's talk about the governance. Um, are you are you guys how's how's everything organized? Is this a DAO or do you kind of create a, a different kind of voting mechanism? So the the protocol is a DAO, and the DAO has um, there's a lot of things a DAO can decide. On the lending side, they can vote on reserve parameters or uh, the configurations of the lending markets. But for the stable DAO, they can actually um, what we're envisioning is that. They can vote on ha- on these third-party capital deployers. So we're going to uh, make these third-party capital deployers essentially post all the, the metrics. So default rates, how their loans are performing, sort of um, how much of the interest they're getting back. And based on that, the DAO is going to be able to vote whether they can draw down more funds or whether they can... Uh, they can draw down less funds. So we really want to hand this uh, over to the DAO. Obviously, the first uh, couple of these third-party capital deployers had to be uh, been uh, had to be done in a centralized basis. But since we have the DAO up and running, onboarding new capital deployers will all be done through the DAO. 
Wow. Talk, talk to me real quick about, <clears throat> um, I have no in any way idea about how uh, legality in, in El Salvador is around this. Um, so, so talk through kind of how you guys are incorporated and how this is managed, um, you know, from, from the compliance standpoint. Yeah. So um, Acumen actually has a very unique position uh, in, uh, from a regulatory viewpoint. We're actually one of the first DeFi protocols in the world to be authorized by a central bank. We received uh, central bank authorization from the Salvadorian Central Bank. And the reason this is important uh, when you're conducting a, a business model like Acumen is, is doing is that there needs to be a legal entity that can have a first lien position on these loans. And since uh, we're a DAO, having the DAO recognized as a legal entity by a central bank essentially gives us the 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 go to to be able to take uh, and repossess the assets or the collateral if anything goes wrong with the loans. You're, you're making That's me really very jealous. <laughs> yeah, I never thought of that because your problem obviously is if you're not recognized and if you ever have to recollect, like uh, recover in like a traditional court and you're just like this rando DAO with no registration, you would have really hard time having standing or really any recourse anywhere. Correct. And um, not only that, we've gone a step further and we've approached the government with a project for a DAO law so that DAOs could be legal in El Salvador. We have sat with them for a couple of times. They like it. Um, They want to do it. We are uh, looking at at specific issues and how it's going to work because it's obviously very different to have a DAO in, in the blo- on the blockchain than to have a regular LLC or, or, or corporation. But if they do pass that law, that is going to be, uh, aside from so, awesome, <laughs> it's yeah, going to be, uh, well, historic. So they w- so so this law would recognize a DAO as a legal entity, it just as as an S corp, an LLC, or any other organizational Correct. vehicle. Correct. Wow. Yes. And and you guys are involved in this. We pitched it to them. Yes, and um, as well as you know, the government is pretty open to the whole cryptocurrency subject, so they get it. They get that Bitcoin was like. The first step, but with Bitcoin comes a whole universe of other of other digital assets and 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 types of companies that can exist, and they need to be ahead of that in order to continue being the pioneers in this subject. So, on that note, and and again, I'm 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 picking on uh, Javier just a little bit because you, you do stay anonymous uh, versus uh, uh, Andre, which you which you don't. Um, how does how does that affect, or is that in the law where they'll allow someone who has a banking a, a, tar, a type of banking license to be to be unknown? Because that's you know generally not not allowed in the banking world. Yeah. So obviously, the the reason I've stayed up anonymous and like um, I guess kind of anonymous is purely from you know regulatory standpoint. I I mean I want to obviously not be anonymous but as soon as you have this whole regulatory framework set up I don't think there's a need to be my only fear is that before there was none of this framework available and we we weren't working on it yet so it just comes with a risk um uh, being uh you know doxed so once we have everything set up I have no problem uh you know no longer being anon Very cool Stefan 
Yeah. So wait. So but so how does it work when you talk to the government? Like, I mean, you've already talked to the government. Like, do they know who you are? And you just are like yeah. semi-anonymous? Oh, okay. Okay, that makes more sense. I was about to say. No, like, they know. Yeah, so- they know who we are. And and it's not also just to clarify, it's not a banking license. It's a a license where you are allowed to lend, which there's a difference because we okay. are now. If you are a bank, you are allowed to take fiat funds into your entity and then invest them or lend them out or, or do something like that. And, and that's not what we're doing. So that's an interesting regulatory question though. So because you do accept deposits now, they might not be custody deposits. So is your, is your point basically as long as you don't take custody deposits, but yes, you lend you it out, not take then you're good. Deposits. You are yeah. you are a lender, and you have to comply to rules like um, what percentage of this person's income is going towards the, paying this loan. Uh, what is the rate that you are giving to this person every month? You have to um, supply them a report of how payments are going, of who's defaulting, what you're doing to back that up. So you do have several standards there that um, a little bit different from the banks, but basically regulated. But but that's very fair. I mean, those are those are metrics that should be tracked. You know, that Abby and everyone else should be on, on these things. Um, keep going, uh, Stefan, on on that line of questioning, though. Yeah, no, and I think that it kind of leads to. So I'm assuming the lending is all KYC then, correct? So you actually know who you're lending to? Like, you know the end consumer? So the the extent of the KYC is to the third-party capital deployers we work with. Since we're kind of like uh, like the interface or the middleman, we would KYC, you know, obviously the Small Business Administration, and then they would KYC who they're lending to. So it's not like we have to go and KYC the end consumer. We're just KYCing the interface that we're giving the money to. And so in the short run, like you're planning on staying more of that middleman where you basically aggregate money on one end and then you aggregate these deployers on the other hand instead of trying to go directly to end consumers. Yeah, it, we feel because it's probably the most sustainable model because it allows you to replicate the model globally, which is what we want to do. We started in those software just because they're favorable to crypto and to all the, the blockchain technology. But in the future, we are already exploring different uh, different geographical areas. We've talked to some po- uh, partners in Africa, and we're thinking that that's where we're going to go next. I got an intro in Nigeria for you, actually, so hit me up. Uh, I know somebody who has a bank there. I got the same guy I was about to recommend. Oh, awesome. okay, Jay, I'll let you do it. No, no, I keep going with it. So when when you guys are looking at the technology and you're talking about global adoption, um, it, and again, you have to excuse my ignorance on on the, the foreign law here. Are, do, are there other traditional banks now doing lending globally with El Salvador licenses like this? That... So basically what we want to do with the, what we're trying to establish regulatory is use El Salvador as a, as a test case. So with the, the partner we're talking to in Africa, they have connections to the central bank of Uganda. 
So what we want to do is after we prove that it works in El Salvador, we'll go to other central banks of developing countries and say, listen, this is what we did in El Salvador. This is how it helped the people there. It did X. It helped X amount of people. They were able to grow their businesses. Would you be interested in replicating a similar model? And most of these countries, when if you're bringing in foreign investment, they're likely to want to, you know, structure a deal with you because it helps the people of their country. So that's essentially what we were trying to do with starting in El Salvador first, because I believe that most countries would want to have somebody that can give cheaper rates to their people. It's almost like a a, a no-brainer, I guess. So you guys essentially are are almost starting a global lobbying group for for DeFi lending because you're going to go recreate the, the, the laws you're trying to pass in El Salvador uh, you know, to an extent globally, so you can you can replicate and work legally inside of of that government's framework. Yeah, exactly. Super smart. <laughs> so when we're ta- when we're talking about the the technology and and is there ever do you have on the roadmap to go direct to consumers or, or you feel very comfortable in, in just being the essentially an alternative to a traditional uh, commercial lender? I guess would be the best way to say it. I think maybe in the future, if we do get big enough, we will uh, start targeting direct uh, consumers. But as as of right now, I think we're going to stay, um, you know, as the connector for these people. Yeah, I think just strategically, I definitely see. Like, I mean, it'd be so hard to deploy at like a very small, small level and have any impact because, especially, just the education component will be hugely difficult at that point, right? Yeah, and also because. By partnering with institutions that already do this, they already have the experience in in selecting the client, in in doing the whole uh, getting them to pay them back. Uh, so that's something that we don't have to do, and we know that they've been successful at it in the past, which means they will be successful with the funds that we deploy to them, which is essentially a guarantee for the investor. So I'm curious from a technology perspective, how does it actually end up working? Like, do you basically set up a vault where people can deposit into, and then does the underwriting bank effectively whitelist the end consumer for a certain amount and the end consumer borrows directly from the protocol? Or does the end, or does the bank just lend fiat in the traditional way to the end consumer and you issue a loan via the blockchain to that entity? Yeah. So, um, the, the, the bank or the institution we're working with would, would issue, um, we would give them the loan in, in, in crypto and they would issue it in cash to the, the, the consumer. That's also, sorry, that's also an important point because, um, as you said, the importance of, of education, uh, basically there's a huge lack of, of education in, on how crypto works. People are, are afraid of it, especially people in, in in the small and medium enterprises. So they don't necessarily want to receive crypto and, and be scared of what, how much is it going to be worth in an hour or tomorrow. Or if I loan out this amount, then in the future, how much? I'm... So to give security to the end consumer, they get fiat. In, in El Salvador, we use dollars. So here they would get uh Dollars, they would pay back dollars to Konamipe, but Konamipe would pay us back in in crypto. Okay, so the, so they're they're okay. they're oh. getting comfortable in crypto. Oh yes, the government is completely comfortable with crypto. 
That's that's you 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 act like that's a normal thing. <laughs> <laughs> it is like here. It's it's like an, they love it. <laughs> so Wait, so I'm just curious, go- actually. So yeah. like, if I'm walking around in El Salvador, like what percentage of people can I pay in crypto? Like if I go to a store, can I pay in crypto or no? You yeah. can. Yeah, you can. What's like as if like? you were paying like, like in store a store or like five percent of stores. I would say it's probably ninety percent of the stores accept crypto. Damn! How, uh, so you could go to the supermarket to the grocery store and, and just transfer through your wallet, or pay in a in a like a sort of POS system, um, but a crypto one, and and yeah, and there's also so, ATMs all over the place. So so describe real quick, and and again, remember we're we're from the dark ages. We're only you know I'm from the United States, and and Stefan's from from Switzerland. So we don't we don't have any idea how that works. So is it is it you can use whatever wallet you want, or is everyone kind of on like a, a single you know single type of app that they're using, which we know happens in some cases. Everybody is on a Chivo wallet, and okay. the, the way they the, the reason they did it is to kind of subsidize. Sort sort of the, the fees that come with Bitcoin, um, so they're kind of running their own Lightning network on on the on the wallet to make the payments faster and everything. Yeah, so but it's fully decentralized you, still. So they didn't put in any centralized components because I know that's what Russia was looking at for a while, where it was kind of just their own wallet that they were custodying it effectively. Is it custodied in the wallet or is it a non custodial wallet? It's a non custodial wallet, as far as I'm uh, I'm aware. No, so cool. the the benefit of using the Chivo wallet, which is the 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 wallet that the government um, created, is that there's no transaction fees, N- none at all. It doesn't matter if you send one dollar. It doesn't matter if you send ten thousand dollars. There is no transaction fee, and you can also convert within the the wallet from dollars to Bitcoin. So you, as the as the commerce, as, if I was the grocery store. And here comes Stefan from Switzerland, and he wants to pay me in Bitcoin. You can pay in Bitcoin, but I want to receive dollars. I immediately receive dollars in my wallet. And from the same Chivo wallet, I can transfer those funds in dollars to my bank account. So again, you're 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 we're we're kind of getting a glimpse into the future here, um, and it's it's very interesting. So how does how does this wallet you know uh, integrate with with your protocol? Is it uh, native integration or is it still again you you guys are dis, dis disconnected from the end users? So we would not in, since that the, the, the that wallet takes uh, Bitcoin, okay. we would not be integrating it. Um, We'd have to we give out the USDC um, like on the SPL network on the Solana network, so it'd have to be a Solana based wallet. Gotcha. And they're and they're they're running a custom. Yeah, that's super network. cool though. Yeah, I, I gotta like, tell you, hobo but, down there for a while and check it out. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, you're right you down the street. Yeah, you guys have to come here. Right <laughs> are you are you seeing a lot of foreign uh, you know foreign developers coming down? Because again, the to have that type of you know adoption. Is you know it, it, definitely. You know, I, I would say there's you know point zero one percent of businesses here even understand what crypto is, let alone would adopt it. You have a lot of, of foreign investors, and not just Bitcoin. You have a lot of Solana people. You have a lot of NFT projects, DeFi exchanges, anything that you can think of within the crypto space. They're here. 
Congratulations. Right now guys. we have CZ from, from Binance is here. So they also issue licenses for all of this. So it's not just that people come down there and then kind of do it in like a, like just whatever way, right? They actually, the El Salvadorian government issues licenses for DEXs and centralized exchanges and all that. Exchanges do need a license. So um, aside from the Bitcoin law, there is another regulation which states which ones of the companies need a special license. Mostly those who are going to be providing like a general service to the public or something that has to do with, with being a provider to the government. What, what size is your team? So, so talk to this a little bit, uh, a little bit about, you know, the, the kind of dev side and, and it sounds like the compliance side, although, um, Andrea, are you, are you the one that's kind of running, uh, running the point on, on regulations? Yeah. So, well, I'm an attorney and, um, I basically handle all of the legal components of, of acumen and, and the, the rest. Awesome. And then Javier, what's your team look like? There's um, there's a total of 14 people. We have seven full-time developers, um, around three like business development executives, and three other um, kind of like managerial uh, people. And and how's um, so with all this compliance and, and adoption? How is how is finding talent down there? Are you are you seeing that people are learning to code? Uh, and then you have access, or are you are you having to use global, uh, you know, kind of go out and find decentralized global teams? Um, yeah, so there's actually a lot of people like moving down to El Salvador. I've met a lot of people that are, uh, you know, that just got up, left where they were living, and moved to El Salvador full time. And there's a lot of other, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, programming shops uh, and, and, and communities in El Salvador are fully embracing crypto. So they're learning how to code Solidity. Rust, if, if if they're interested in Solana, but there's just a lot of people that are super interested in, in crypto because of the whole Bitcoin initiative. Yeah, and in in, in our specific case, uh, the experience has been, um, I would say, it's been a, a, a very satis- satisfactory experience because we went looking for coders. We found some coders. They did not know Rust, but they did know other languages. And with help from the, from the team outside of El Salvador, they were, they were able to learn the language and now they, they can code in it. And, and it's basically a Salvadoran built protocol. That's awesome. That's guys. Awesome. That's real. I mean, it really is. I, I got to tell you, I, I hear pitches. I hear about all these things all the time. <clears throat> and uh, you're our first El Salvador, um, you know, company. But but I think what's really interesting about this is is the adoption. You guys aren't, um, you know, questioning. Are is your business going to be upended in in a few years? You're you're just kind of building and saying global adoption's coming. And you guys are really suddenly El Salvador is much more forward thinking uh, than the U.S. who led you know Web one and Web two. Um, and, and it clearly is, is losing it ground fast in web three. And so I love hearing about these hotspots, uh, around the world and, and Stefan that tra- travels around the world looking for things like this, um, you know, as he's building a, a level one, um, Stefan, what other questions, you know, cause I, I love this, you know, we, we've really hit so much on the regulation side and I feel like we've, we've, uh, abandoned the tech side a little bit here. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm just curious. So on the tech side, again, I think, so I think it's interesting that you guys kind of abstracted away some of the and direct to consumer, right? Just as a strategy, especially in the short run to get going, that seems like a super smart way to go of just actually getting, because I think like crypto sometimes has a bit of the philosophy, like, oh, if it's not fully decentralized, we don't want to do it. And it feels like, especially with your use case, that's just exceedingly difficult to kind of like accomplish on day one, right? So I think just, I love the strategy of just saying like, no, let's find organizations that know how to do this. Let's just give them access to cheaper capital. We basically help the end consumer a lot by giving them cheaper capital just because it kind of flows through. Actually, I'm curious, how much better is the rate if they lend through you versus directly? Like how much better of of a rate does the end consumer end up getting? It's significantly better. I mean, compared to paying 7,000%, they're going to be paying 11 to 12% a year. And so the difference is, so, okay, but the same organization was already underwriting loans before, right? That they're not the loan shark organization, basically? No, they're not the loan shark organization. So what, what happens here is that the person goes to a traditional bank and they are rejected, right? Then they go to a smaller bank, they are rejected. They go to perhaps an honest person who loans out money, they are rejected. So they end up going to a loan shark who may even sometimes be tied to organized crime, and this is the person who they end up taking the money from. And they end up paying, aside from horrifically high uh interest rates, they are also risking their lives by doing so. But this is not through Konamipe. And so Konamipe, like, okay, and so then they just didn't have the capital before to do this? Or like, so, or they're already doing this, you mentioned. You just, like, basically you allow them to broaden their criteria for who they lend to? We are giving them the, the capacity to loan out to more people. Okay, that's cool. Okay, yeah, yeah, interesting. And so, huh? So I'm curious, what's your TVL? Like, give us some of the actual finance numbers so far. I'm really curious how many loans have been issued, all those things. Or are you not quite at that phase yet? So right now, we are not in the, the phase of actually deploying capital. We just finished building the tech side of uh, what we call the stable DAP. And we're in the process of getting around $20 million pre-committed to the stable DAP to, to lend out. And so the interesting thing about stable DAP is that um, it's super, uh, it creates a unique dynamic with our token. So there's going to be excess revenues generated from the stable DAP. And what these excess revenues are actually going to be used for is um, around a point is going to be used for liquidity of the token. And the other half of it is actually going to be paid out as staking rewards in USDC for the ACM token holders. So with a large amount of TVL in the stable DAP, you could have people making $10,000 in USDC a month by staking 20,000, 30,000 tokens. And so, sorry, so is the, are you basically separating the risk of collateral into the ACM token? And so you get a higher APR there and you de-risk the, the stable app or how is the risk tranched out? Or is it just uh, the whole tranche is the same thing? The whole tranche would be part of, uh, part of the same thing. But I mean, we do take, uh, you know, we do do risk analysis with who we're trying to lend out to mitigate, uh, mitigate the amount of, the amount of risk. 
Okay, and so then, sorry, how does the stable DAP work? Maybe let's let's quickly jump into that. What's the stable DAP versus the ACM token? So the stable DAP is what actually powers, um, you know, the, the the cheaper rate for the the microfinance companies. People lock in their USDC. That USDC is uh, loaned out to these. Um, third-party capital deployers, and then they provide uh, cheaper loans to their end consumers. Now, the ACM token is actually what governs the whole protocol. And as an ACM token holder, you have the rights to the excess revenue of the, the protocol. So the token holders can vote what we do with the excess revenue, whether it be we use it to buy back and burn tokens, or we distribute it as uh, staking rewards in USDC. Okay, and so then how does the whitelisting work for capital providers? So basically, you sign up a new entity, which I'm assuming there's like a physical contract, just a traditional contract with an entity of some kind, and then you just whitelist them on the stable DAP so that they can kind of just borrow against that vault at a certain rate to a certain amount? Yeah, so it's yeah, it's like a whitelisted solution, but the only um, they wouldn't have the ability to just directly draw down. The program actually has to draw it down for them, because um, that that leaves a couple open like attack vectors, which is why we chose to not go that way and have it controlled by the program, which is owned by the token holders. Okay, that's cool. And so then, if I buy the to- so okay, so. This, there's two capital providers, effectively. I can either buy the token to get excess revenue, or I can just like lend to the protocol to then be lent out, and then I just get a stable APR. So I can choose between either a stable APR or potentially greater upside, but also much greater risk of like the, the token itself. Yeah, but you can um, you can do both. So a lot of people, once we've talked to the community, they're going to be also providing capital to the stable DAP, earning the 7.58% stable yield, as well as staking their ACM tokens to also receive the excess revenue on top of it. Okay. That makes sense. And so the lockup period that you mentioned is because obviously you don't want people to draw back to capital and then you being out, right? So, I mean, that that's why there's a lockup. Yeah, so there, there's, there is a way to make it so that you don't have a lockup period. The only thing is that from like a logistics perspective, it kind of overcomplicates it. Because as long as you have the lockup period, you know that you can deploy these funds and people aren't going to be pushing, uh, wanting to pull them out or you won't have like a run in the bank essentially. So that's why we decided to go with the lockup period so that once you put in the funds there, we can deploy them no problem get the principal and the interest back and then pay it back to the depositors. It just makes everything much more simple. A lot less chaotic. How do, yeah. How do the APRs compare to traditional like microfinance? Because I know there's lots of microfinance platforms out there where I can lend directly. I'm curious, how, how does this differ for me as a, uh, as a lender versus going through one of those websites? So I, I would say our rates are a tiny bit higher. I've seen other platforms that offer, offer like 5 6%. So I mean we're we're at the we're at a rate where we're higher than a lot of the other uh, platforms and I think to be completely honest the target audience is people that are in crypto already and just want a source of stable uh, and more secure yield than you know aping into a yield farming platform. Sure, that makes sense. So when you're talking to these uh, the, the various entities that are going to be doing the lending for you. <clears throat> Um, 
you're on Solana, and one of the things I love about Solana is the transaction reports are just blow anything else away out there. Um, you know, because you can see what happened before the transaction, what happened after the transaction, and everything in there. Are they accepting those on-chain transaction reports as you know auditable records, or are you having to keep separate uh, logs for all these transactions? So obviously, um, I think we're, we're still going to have to have sort of like an accounting mechanism so that everything is audited because you do run into the problem when after you you, you deploy these funds, it's hard to um, you know keep track of the off-chain uh, transfers. And what we want to do is have our accountant actually go through this and, and provide reports that we can then uh, put on the blockchain so that it's verified. And and are the, and um, it, is anyone doing it like that now? That you're, or are you just trying to make your own accounting protocol as well? I'm not aware of anybody doing it like that. Um, so I think it'd probably be like taking um, you know the APIs of accounting software and aggregating it with uh, you know oracles to to authenticate and verify the data. It, it showcases how early we are in all this. That something is basic. That any Web two company can just say, yeah, just plug it into QuickBooks, it works. And you're going, we think it's going to be like this, but here's what we're going to have to build to make it work. And I mean, it's just it's amazing. Um, you know, how, again, here I here I am. This is all I do all day long, and had no idea that El Salvador was this forward thinking uh, about decentralized exchange regulation. We should do an El Salvador trip, Jay. Uh, listen, it, it, you guys, uh, you hosting a party? We'll we'll come down. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll we'll show you guys around. <laughs> So, uh, Javier and Andrea, let's, uh, let's, let's run through, uh, Acumen and I'd love to kind of see a little bit in action, or I think right now it's kind of a, a prep for it. Um, but yeah, please, please show us what we're, uh, what we can see in the near future. Yeah. So right now what we're showing you guys is the stable DAP. So essentially how it works is that there's separate pools. Each pool, depending on how uh, long you lock it up, has a higher stable rate. And before the funds are deployed, there's a countdown for, uh, you know, deposits. So you, you make sure the deposit and the pool is filled and then your funds are locked. They're deployed and the interest is paid out. And as you can see, the countdown, uh, goes down. And once the countdown has reached zero, you're actually able to withdraw your funds. And what we're going to be doing in the future, actually, is we're going to have sort of like a white labeled solution because we believe there's a certain market where it's more of a B2B strategy. So we've talked to a lot of protocols and a lot of large projects that have a treasury that's essentially uh, just sitting there and it's not working. It's not working capital. So uh, what we're going to do is create uh, specific pools for these projects so that they can put their treasury and have it to work in a stable and sort of uh, more secure rate than playing with those funds in you know yield farming platforms. Although they are luc- uh, lucrative, they're not as stable as actually having uh, yield backed by income producing loans or, or, or assets. And our stable DAP has been audited by uh, Brahmin Systems, and we did enter it into the Solana Riptide Hackathon. So it's uh, there's not much to it besides you deposit and you're able to you know uh, do DeFi and do good. But we also have our lending DAP. Andre, would you mind pulling that one up? Hey, is the APR paid in the native token or in USDC? USDC. 
Oh, interesting. So you're taking, okay, so the native token itself isn't involved because you lend to the bank at a USDC rate. And so you don't have to. Okay, that's really cool. Yeah, so you'd be receiving your interest paid out in USDC. And now for the lending platform. Um, hey, actually, I'm curious. Do you do any arbitrage? Like, for example, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just use Ave for simplicity's sake. But do you like go borrow USDC on Ave at 3%, lock that in, and then just move it to your protocol? I mean, is there a lot of people who ARB against that? Or you do can, you just ARB it? You can do that. Um, me personally, I'm not. I'm not doing that. But that's definitely, um, you know, what you can. Uh, that's certainly something you can do. The only problem is that since those rates are variable, you could then start like if you take get a loan, the rate could go up to like fifteen percent. And since your funds are locked, you're, you might be a little, a little, uh, a little screwed. But if you do find uh, protocols that do like fixed rate lending, and you're borrowing at a rate of like three percent, and it's fixed, you can definitely do that. I and thought so, Aave had a more fixed rate product, but that, that makes sense. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and so then this is the lending market. Essentially how this works is that you choose an asset you want to borrow, you put up an asset as collateral, and you're able to borrow that fund at a predetermined loan-to-value ratio. We also have uh, you know, liquidity incentives for the token. So if you go up to the top of the page, you can see that you have um, earn ACM and you can actually stake ACM and USDC and earn a pretty good APY on uh, on staking and providing liquidity for the token. Is that 5,000%? Yeah. So that's all based on uh, the amount of liquidity in the pool. Right now, it's at 1,000 because the amount of deposits you have kind of uh, balance out the pool. But before, it was earning like thirty or 40,000. It was an insane rate. <laughs> It's so cool to watch these things just just go. Like you build the rules and you let people play with it and you're like, oh, cool. Well, didn't plan on that, but here we go. <laughs> um, well, very cool. So how how's the best way for, for someone that's saying, I, I love this, I want to I want loan to them. Um, is it open now? Because uh, I see some things are coming soon, but what's, what's kind of the action item someone could take when they're on your website right now? Um, So right now, you can use the lending protocol. That's all live. All the money in there is is on mainnet. Uh, For the stable dApp, we still haven't launched it. So as I mentioned, we're doing sort of like a a pre-commitment round to um, lend, have funds ready in it once we uh, make the protocol live. So if anybody's very interested in receiving the stable return and and, and locking money up uh, in USDC, they can reach out to us and we can... um, we can structure uh, a sort of um, a sort of uh, deal so that they can be one of the first people supporting the stable DAP. So this is a traditional raise, not a not a, a crypto. Um. I wouldn't say it's a traditional raise because uh, you just basically have your money in the protocol, earn the yeah. interest, and then receive the principal and interest back. It's just trying to be like an early supporter of of the protocol. Very cool. All right. Well, um, so so again, I'm really, really impressed by everything you guys have shown so far. What else, you know, kind of are, has got you guys inspired around Web three? You know, what else are you seeing? And I would like to also congratulate you on getting through an entire interview without saying the words NFT. Um, so, so, but what, what's what's kind of uh, what are you guys seeing? What's got you excited or that uh, is comparable? Yeah. So um, I just spoke to. 
a project that we're going to work with called uh, Fluidity. And they're on Solana and on Polygon. And essentially what they do is that you uh, put in USDC and they actually put it through lending protocols or interest protocols so that you could still use a portion of your USDC freely through the Solana ecosystem while still earning um, you know, yield on what you deposited. Very cool. So, um, I mean, which is a, which is a, a big problem because people generally don't want to get, you know, they, they get locked up and then they can't do the other things they want to do with them. So how, how are they solving that problem? Um, so yeah, so they tokenize the USDC and set, uh, essentially giving you sort of like a synthetic stable coin okay. and they give you sort of like a, a collateral ratio. So you can only get a certain amount back and then you can use that with our pools. Um, and yeah, it's a very cool idea. And we're, we're thinking of integrating, um, acumen into their protocol very cool it's a, the collaboration in web3 is just something i've never seen before at this level because it's you know it's like hey we all want to win together and andrew are you what are, what are you seeing what's what's kind of uh are you a, a DeFi degen at all um well yeah i'm seeing basically more and more um how do you say it more acceptance of it because initially people are like, well, this just doesn't seem real. Uh, where's the money coming from? Where is it? You know, everyone's like, so where is it? And now people are starting to understand, like, it's, it's not, it's not tangible, but it's, it's real. Right. And, um, as people have been seeing the benefits of, of, of Bitcoin, they will see the benefits of, of DeFi, of, of other types of protocols. Um, there's also a CeFi company here. Um, well, it's actually a foundation. So, yeah, very interesting things. And, and as you said, everybody collaborating. It, it, it's a community here. Everybody's friends with each other. Nobody is like, oh, I hate this person because it's my competition. No, we're all trying to work together to make it friendlier for the community and to educate the people on all of the subjects. I mean, absolutely amazing. Stefan? I was just saying that does not apply to crypto Twitter for some reason. Like in person, you're, I completely agree with you, but everyone hates everyone on Twitter for some reason. That's true. No, that is true. That is true. But um, no, here, it just, Every Tuesday, for example, there's there's this group that joins, and most of them are foreigners, and and they all join every Tuesday. And every Tuesday, they have fun, they laugh, they collaborate. They, and ne- the next day, they may be tweeting hate to each other, but next Tuesday, they're <laughs> hugging it out cool. again. <laughs> that sounds like lawyers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> touche. Well, guys, I want to say thank you so much for coming on here. I, I actually learned an incredible amount, and, and hopefully our, our viewers, viewers around the world did as well. Um, but more than anything else, you know, again, just congratulations on on the foresight. Uh, you, you just by uh, you know whether uh, it's luck or determination or or a combination of, of difference, um, you know, you're changing the world and you're doing it in in your country. And I think it's going to have a big, uh, profound difference on the rest of the world. We've been watching El Salvador with the Bitcoin laws. Uh, from afar. And I will say I'm very jealous of some of the things that you guys have accomplished. Um, and now hearing everything that you're doing today, 
and, and working towards. I mean, that this is real. I mean, this this is what makes it real. If when you can use cryptocurrencies and it has the ability to show up on your bank statement uh, to any capacity, that's that mechanism that I believe for a lot of people will be real. Uh, Stefan? Yeah, I totally agree. I'll definitely have to come down and visit. Uh, a few weeks in El Salvador sounds like a, a cool trip. <laughs> uh, Javier, uh, Andrea, uh, what, what's the uh, best way for people to get a hold of you, to get involved, or uh, just to learn more? Yeah, it would be uh, Telegram or email. I can share my Telegram uh, information and email in the chat. Perfect. We will get we will get that uh, put up on the screen for everyone else, uh, for all the Y whales, and for everyone else that's watching from around the world. Uh, this is Acumen, and thank you guys so much. We'll see you next time. Awesome, yeah. Hey, thank you guys. Thank you guys, thank you guys super, for having super great us. Speaking with you guys. No problem. Thanks, guys. Right. Have a good day. All right. Thank you. Bye. Y whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbach, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.